Today on Chase Wildly, gymnast, movement coach, author, international speaker on leadership, and a man who is helping us all to think in better and more healthy ways. He is committed to helping others, to contributing, and making himself and his impact more positive each day. It was a joy to spend some time with him. This is Carl Pally. Let's go. Well, first thing, Carl, thank you so much for coming on, man. I know you're a busy guy. I, I see all the stuff that you're putting out there, all the coaching that you're doing. And uh, so it's an honor for me to talk to you, truly. Dude, thank you. And I think I think maybe um, I, I would need to start by saying that we're only as busy as we want to be. Mm. We're only as busy as we want to be. What does that mean? Well, uh, I can tell you that I'm really busy today. I'm coaching a lot. I have a lot of planning. I got travel coming up. But I, I've chosen to do all those things. Yeah. So true. We chose uh, to be as busy as we are. And that understanding that choice can change your mindset about it too, huh? Yeah, because really, what are you so busy for? And do you need to be that busy mm-hmm. to make the impact that you want to make or feel as good as you think you're going to feel when you do mm. whatever thing you set out to do? Yeah. I don't know. What are the things? This is a brilliant way to just jump into it. What are the things that you're choosing to do right now? Yeah, so I think I think the common thread that exists at every level of my life at this moment is that I want to constantly be the best version of who I can be. And in the practice of trying to become the best version of Carl, uh, I want everyone else around me to do the same. And because I can't make them do that, I can only model that behavior. So that's really what I'm trying to do. And what I've learned (laughs) is that I'm messing up a lot (laughs) all the time, but in a good way. The, the, the failures are really positive. Mm-hmm. It's simply information that I'm using to uh, continue to see what's in the mirror. Yeah. What are some of those failures that you've experienced recently? You know, there's, there's a lot of uh, fears mm-hmm. of being judged for who I really am inside. Like, I'll give you a, maybe it's not a silly example, but I love, uh, for example, listening to a podcast and when uh, a good uh, soundtrack or score uh, is played in the background, it can accentuate that uh, soundbite in so many different ways that I, I feel that's really fun and inspiring and cool, whereas other people may see it as uh, cliche or cheesy or whatever it may be. But the thing is, I like it. Yeah. And uh, when you like something and someone says that they don't like what you like, it's easy to maybe get a little shy or timid or uh, not want to show 
your full self. Yeah, really easy to shut down quickly and go that other direction. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I just started listening to uh, Mike Posner's um, podcast the other day, and I started binge listening. And the reason is because I like his music, but I had never listened to his podcast. And it's a podcast that he started after being in solitude for seven days. Oh, wow. Yeah. I haven't heard of this at all. This is awesome. Okay. It's awesome. And uh, I thought to myself, would you do that? And I said, well, maybe I I would do it, but do I want to do it? No, I don't want to do it. (laughs) And one of the things that he said that I found so interesting was that when he was making his way up in the ranks as a musician, uh, he wanted to accumulate cool things like cool cars, cool houses, because uh, people would think that's cool. And he thought that was cool at the time. And uh, eventually he was enlightened and realized, oh, whoa, all this material wealth, um, all this financial wealth is not making me feel any different. So in order for me to feel whole and feel worthy, maybe I need to go the other route, the spiritual route. So he started uh, studying holy books and uh, started practicing meditation. And then he realized he started accumulating holy things <laughs> because <laughs> that was another way for him to be cool. Yeah. Anyways, in his podcast, of course, as a musician, he's able to play his own music in the background. And as I'm listening to this thing, I'm just like, wow, what a great expression of an audio format, spoken audio with the music in the background that, you know, uh, some may think, oh, that's so cliche, but that expression coming from him to me felt so appealing and cool. And I'm like, I want to be in that creative space. Yes. Yeah. To me, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. That's awesome to me too. Is that what led you to this podcasting, this concept of creating your voice? As a message, as a as a medium? Yeah, for sure. I, I think, you know what's funny is that I don't like my voice. Okay. Well, I, I'm starting to like it. I don't like my voice either. There's something about listening to your own voice that brings out all the demons, I think. It really does. Um, but I'm slowly start, starting to fall in love with it. Where I'm like, oh man, this is what you sound like. And this is something that just is. Start, start to appreciate it and yeah. see where it goes. And yeah, so I, I felt like the podcast would be a great, great expression of me uh, really owning who I am uh, from a vocal perspective yeah. and seeing if uh, what people think is, or th- at least thought was cool visually when I did, you know, my little handstands or tricks or whatever it is and on social media, if that can transcend into a voice, yeah. that'd be pretty amazing. And yeah, it would be. It has yet to be proven. <laughs> yeah, but it's coming. Oh, I think it's going to be great. And I can't wait to see more of your stuff. I want to talk a little bit and ask you about this shift I've noticed in you. You know, you and I met about seven years ago, and I came in for some help with, uh, with things that were going on in my body. And, and then our interaction has been really, I've just been watching you over the interwebs, you know, Instagram or Facebook, whatever. And what I think I've seen is some shift in the last, you know, over that time period, five or um, five or four years, not away from movement, but 
including this other aspect that is about living with yourself in a better way, becoming a better version of yourself. And it, it just struck me as I'm watching from afar, you know, I wonder what's going on in Carl's life to initiate or catalyze this sort of change. And maybe this was always going on with you, but what led you to start speaking more and more about this or, or making this the, the focal point of your message? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, a lot was going on and it still is going on. And it's always been there since I was a kid. I, I mean, I, I grew up as a very scared kid, scared of everything, scared to the point where I was damaging my relationships with people. I, I would punish my mom because I was so scared of going to school. I would uh, go to school and I would cry for hours because I was just fearful of being in a place that was unknown. Yeah. Uh, so that's always been there. So there's always been this thing inside of me that um, has been very emotional mm. and for some reason I'm thinking about right now, I, I mean, I remember, um, you know, when you, you start feeling attracted to someone. So as a kid, when you start having a little crush, I remember if the weekend would come around and all of a sudden I couldn't see the girl that I wanted to see at school, I was crushed, devastated, oh, you know? And I was like, is this normal to feel such pain? Is this what love is? It's supposed to be painful. <laughs> this painful? <laughs> yeah. And and then I realized that it wasn't just with people. It was also with um, things and abilities. So even when I started doing gymnastics, I would think about movements in the same way. It's like if I couldn't be at the gym practicing this movement, I felt like I was in so much pain because I loved it so much. Such a crazy feeling. Yeah. And this, of course, has carried over my whole life. And once I... Um, got to the point where I started finding my footing and people started listening to what I had to say, which I always thought, so this may sound crazy, but I always thought, you know what, I'm going to be famous one day and I'm going to be known for whatever work I do, whether it's uh, making movies or in business or as an athlete, I'm just going to be someone that people recognize and know about. And I just kind of chased that. And I, when you were little, this to, was just in you. Mm -hmm. yeah. okay. I just knew. And one of the first realizations that I had early on was that I was always average. Like I was never the best. So I had some doubts. Sure. But I continued going because I was so in love with the feeling, the idea, the vision. And when I finally started getting some traction through the thing that I was slightly above average on, which was teaching people how to move, whether it was for CrossFit or fitness or gymnastics or whatever it may be. Once I started getting that recognition and some money started showing up in my life and people started recognizing me outside of the gym and especially when social media started coming around and I started getting messages and it, I started building what one would call a fan base, I realized that I was still dissatisfied. Mm. I just didn't feel any different. I still you had, had all that. the followers and you had you were doing seminars and all this stuff, but that feeling hadn't shifted. 
All yeah. those check boxes had been checked. No difference. Yeah. I was yearning for this feeling of feeling satisfied. And I'm like, I'm never satisfied, ever. And then I realized that my dissatisfaction was my greatest asset for development. So I started thinking about dissatisfaction rather, rather than in a painful way in more of a substantial fueling, feeding, nurturing way. Yeah. And that was a really cool um, feeling I had. And this was in 2009, 2010, where I, I was starting to uh, crystallize this in my head, where it's like, oh, yeah, what I was yearning for, this dissatisfaction is the fuel. Mm -hmm. And what I'm always looking for is that moment where uh, that dissatisfaction uh, all of a sudden turns into satisfaction and then starts again. And that's what I was kind of quoting as I was searching for that moment. Mm -hmm. And I remember sharing it at a seminar in London. And someone told me at the end of the seminar, told me, never share that again. Don't ever say that again. People mm -hmm. don't want to hear that. People just want to know what the recipe is. Just share the thing that you came here to share. You share the cycle of dissatisfaction and he said, you know, we don't want to know that ugly process. We just want the recipe for success, essentially. Essentially. Okay. And basically what I was trying to tell people was that they, they are in charge. And if they want to, they can make the change whenever they want. Mm -hmm. And that people like myself that proclaim to be an expert are simply people like themselves that have simply chosen to stand in a place and express themselves and then acknowledge what kind of impact that makes and then make change along the way. And if you do that enough times, it feels like you know something that other people don't. <laughs> right? Yeah. So people would think, oh, Carl's a genius. Look, here comes Carl the guru. <laughs> no, here comes Carl the guy that has simply done it 10,000 times more than you have. And it seems like he knows something that is very far-fetched, but it's not. So I started had, having this dialogue uh, in 2010. And yeah, and then fast forward to my book coming out, um, business going well, having all these partnerships uh, and realizing that I was dissatisfied, not with myself, but with the relationships that I was in. Mm. I had said yes to things that I thought I had to say yes to because they would only come my way once. So I decided to separate from my business partner, separate from the uh, partnerships that I was in. And as I was at my peak, supposedly, right. <laughs> in my career, what people on your resume would call you at your peak, uh, I was falling apart in the back. And uh, that's when I really started leading from the front with these questions and uh, sharing this publicly. Mm-hmm. One, because I like sharing. And the other one was because I was seeking. Yeah. Yeah. And at the same time, my wife and I, we, we became foster parents. Mm. And that was a whole other uh, element that was unexpected. And yeah, so everything got a little crazy. Oh, man. There's so much to dig into in that one story, brother. Well, I'm glad you came out the other side. I am glad that this journey of seeking is something that you're sharing. And I'm glad you didn't listen to that guy's advice 
to not share this aspect of the process because everyone is experiencing that dissatisfaction to some level at some point. And if they think they're alone, that's a, that's a dark journey. Uh, if you, if you see someone like yourself who looks at it in that light as being the opportunity, as being the driving force that made the difference in your life to put you where you are today, that's a beautiful message for people who are in that dark place. So thank you for doing that. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I, I try to remind myself every day yeah. of that because I forget too. Oh, God. I want to dig in a little bit on dissatisfaction. Where do you get the idea in your life that that is an opportunity? And I think it's the right idea. But would you have a sense of where that came from? Was that something you just found? Did you read it in a book? Did, was, did you have someone model that for you? Yeah, I think there, there are several layers to it. For one, there's this fire that burns inside of me that says, come on, Carl, get up. Just do it. You, you got this. And that curiosity that you have, you have to explore it. Keep looking, keep looking, don't stop. And if it feels good uh, somewhere, just keep going for that. So there's always been that drive. And this is kind of what people quote on, quote as, a, oh, he, ha he has it. He has that thing. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I have that fire there. But I'm also just human at the same time. I'm scared of things. I... I struggle sometimes with uh, conversation or relationships or making decisions, whatever it is. I have my struggles. Yeah. But then I also had, um, I, you know, I remember uh, growing up riding in, in the backseat uh, when my dad was driving and he would uh, listen to old music and listen to, you know, like some of the original motivational speakers. Okay. <laughs> and one of them being Zig Ziglar, yeah. who I just loved. Like, oh, it's not called the alarm clock. It's called the opportunity clock. <laughs> stuff like that. Um, you know, he would just say stuff like that. Uh, it's not about uh, reacting. Uh, it's about responding. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like if you take medicine, you don't want to react to the medicine. That's bad. You want right. to respond to the medicine. Mm -hmm. So I would have these uh, sound bites coming in when I was really young. And I think that that started uh, kind of crystallizing some of that fire that I had inside of me, that drive mm -hmm. into seeing the world uh, as a more positive place or as a place of opportunity. And then my dad was also an expression of that and is still an expression of that where, you know, he would have uh, company T-shirts and on the back of that, that T-shirt, it would say in Spanish, uh, because we grew up in Spain, it would say soluciones, which is solutions. Mm -hmm. So it was always about solutions. How can you become solution conscious? Mm -hmm. And that's kind of how the dissatisfaction is simply this notion that uh, you haven't arrived yet. Mm -hmm. So keep, keep moving. Yeah. Yeah. It's just another, it's a, it's a sign from the universe, right? Or from inside of yourself that there's another opportunity here, bro. Like look for it because now's the time to do a little work and, and realize it. Right. It's right there. Is, is dissatisfaction just something that's going to visit us the rest of our lives or do we ultimately arrive? I think to some degree, 
it, it will always be there. But I think about someone who is maybe enlightened. Yeah. <laughs> what keeps them going? Is it just, okay, I feel a state of bliss and now I maintain it? Mm. Or is there something else? And I think there must be something else. And there must be, as a human, a side of you that's dark that comes in once in a while in your meditation practice or your way of living or whatever it is that you you do is uh, tuned and uh, developed to make sure that that darkness is simply a reminder of where you're going, of the light. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so I think yes. The answer is yes. We, we will always have a dissatisfaction, but we don't have to succumb to the dissatisfaction because it's, it's addicting to uh, get into a state where, oh, I'm dissatisfied. Oh, look at me. Now I'm, I'm not doing well enough. And oh, yeah, this is exactly what people told me it was going to be like. And, mm -hmm. oh, yeah, I'm actually not that great. And I don't know what I'm doing. So I'm just going to let someone else solve this problem. Mm -hmm. And then you just sit there and wait and you, you try to find other people that feel dissatisfied as well. And then you're like, oh, see, it's not just me. It's uh, that guy too and this girl. And look, now I have a community of people who are dissatisfied. Yeah. Yeah. It, I think and it we spiral. all keep each other in that little bubble of dissatisfaction or depression or mm -hmm. whatever we want to call it. How do we get out of it? It comes to our front door. We visit it you've developed some practice or some belief. I mean, what do you do in, the, in that moment when it arrives? I think most people don't know that it's there. It just becomes the norm. Like, this is normal. Oh, yeah, the sun sets every day. The sun rises every day. Cool. Mm. Sometimes it's cloudy. Sometimes it's sunny. It's already become the new baseline for many people. Yeah, so yeah. they don't even know it's happening. And I think that's where movement, for example, comes in, where through movement, you start to feel. Mm. Whether it's pain or discomfort or uh, you feel excitement, but it's the moment you start to feel to realize that there are thoughts associated to your feelings. Mm. And when you realize that there are thoughts associated to your feelings, you start uh, hearing what those thoughts are. So now you go a layer deeper and it's kind of like Eckhart Tolle, if you read The Power of Now, when he wakes up after that big panic attack and he's like, man, what happened? And he remembers that he said, the last thing he said to himself was, I can't live with myself anymore. And he realized, oh, so there is I and myself. If there's I and myself, I get to choose how I am in a relationship with myself. And then, of course, he continued on. He sat on a park <laughs> bench, bench for like six months or something like that. Was enlightened at the end of it. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but that moment, uh, I've actually experienced that where I was in a really dark place. And I remember uh, I, I traveled to Argentina. I was feeling really sick. Uh, and I remember that night uh, arriving and feeling really sick and not knowing what I was uh, really going through. I didn't know if it was like a stomach flu or if I had some kind of cold or I was just having a panic. I just didn't know what was happening. But anyways, uh, uh, I, I decided I was going to pick up the phone and I called my mom and my dad and I was just like, I'm freaking out over here. 
And it just hit me. All I needed to do was to say thank you for everything that you've done for me. And whether I, I decided to say that because I thought I was about to die in that moment or because I really felt it, once I said thank you for them giving me life and for uh, taking care of me and being there, all of a sudden something opened up. And I finished this trip. I didn't think much of it. I came home and I remember going to bed the night that I got back and waking up the next morning and having this voice in my head basically saying, just stay in bed a little bit longer. You don't have to get up. In fact, you know what? You're already kind of going downhill anyway, so might as well just lie here and let it go. Just this is over. And then I, I realized, wait a second, this is exactly the voice that I was hearing in my head when I was sick and I called my parents. So I exercised the same gratitude that I offered my parents to myself in that moment. And the moment I did that, I realized that I was in control of the voice in my head. And then I started having a dialogue. And I said, I believe I have something to offer. In fact, look at my body, it's fully functioning. And I have thoughts and my thoughts can actually uh, uh, make a positive impact in this world. Manifest into change in the world. Yeah. yeah, And I got up that day and and ever since it's been different. Mm -hmm. And that's where I really started trying to share some of these ideas. And um, of course, it's not always uh, well received because it seems a little weird to some people or what are you talking about? Well, I mean, Carl Jung was talking about this a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> and he's, he's one of the you know founding fathers of psychology right. um, that we use now to uh, treat people and to understand how uh, behaviors are uh, created or can be changed. Yeah. So why not? Mm-hmm. Why shouldn't I be talking about this? Yeah. And really, these are ancient ideas, I think, it, that we can find in a lot of spiritualities. And like you said, a hundred years ago in our own, the basis of our own psychology, um, the history of psychology. Um, man, that's fantastic. When was that in your life? So that realization was in 2014, 2015. Okay. Yeah, that's when it really hit me. And that's where everything in my life started coming full circle, where I realized, oh, it's not about moving your body. It's just about moving, whether it's your thoughts, your feelings, your body, your business, your family, yourself. Right. It's moving. And the more fluid we can be, I think the better we will feel, mm-hmm. whether it's being dissatisfied and realize that we're dissatisfied mm-hmm. or we are satisfied and appreciating that satisfaction in that moment. Yeah, and appreciating it can be a huge aspect of that. But like you said, if we just deconstruct this for a minute, there's this, this phase of recognition that had to happen first where you recognized the difference between that voice and yourself, right? And then the recognition of your own control of what to do with that voice. And then the response to this negative voice was just one of loving yourself, ultimately, was sending yourself a message of love or that part of yourself or whatever. Mm -hmm. 
Is that right? Is that how you've come to see it? If you deconstruct it or do you even deconstruct it? I mean, I've, I've tried to deconstruct it a couple of <laughs> times and I think it starts with awareness. Okay. Realizing what is, which just requires a little bit of observation. I mean, the most basic form of meditation is just scanning your body mm-hmm. or noticing your breath. So yeah, recognizing what is, is, is step one. If you were to put, you know, steps in a book here and try to progress people <laughs> through enlightenment, which I have not reached, but yeah. uh, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to feel like I belong in this world. Yeah. So I think that would be step one. And then step two is, is really recognizing that, um, the way that we as humans, uh, currently, uh, view the world and try to rationalize the world is through language. Mm. The same way if I said, uh, if I use the code walk, you know what walking looks like, you know what it feels like, uh, you may even know I literally how to see it in my head. When yeah. You say that word. Walk, talk, mm. jump, land, throw, catch, spin, fly, right? We have this code. So we use language to describe how things are happening or who we are. So language in a way is such a powerful tool to describe what is, but at the same time, it's limiting us. So what we need to learn how to do is, is see what's beyond the code. And one way of doing that is, is thinking about where does that code come from? And currently, where is it trending? And this is something that, I mean, if you, you've been staying up to date with like pop culture, Kevin Hart and uh, hosting the Oscars at the moment uh, where there were some gay uh, slurs uh, okay, I didn't see this that were really offensive that he used in some of his com- comedy skits uh, okay. 10 years ago. And, and now that resurfacing and him not being able to or him actually not hosting the Oscars. Anyways, there's a lot of drama. You can go and and read about it. Uh, But that is code. And it's code that stems from a place of maybe misunderstanding, lack of awareness, uh, that now we can see because we've experienced uh, many years of uh, adaptation and change. And now we can change the code or eliminate it completely. So it's learning how to see beyond the code and seeing what the code does in terms of impact. And then once you have uh, realized that code is is guiding the way that you think or see the world, then you can start creating your own. And that's the coolest part. <laughs> and that's where languages come into play. I mean, linguistics uh, is such a fascinating uh, topic to study because... The way that um, one thinks uh, in different languages, I speak three languages, the way that I think in Spanish versus the way that I think in Swedish and the way that I think in English are completely different. Swedish feels family, maternal. Uh, it kind of feels like the, my most fundamental values. English feels more technical, business development, growth mindset. Uh, Spanish feels more fun. Uh, loud, a little crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So depending on the language is different. And, and an example of this, I, I was just watching this documentary the other day about Avicii, uh, okay. the musician. Yeah, yeah, right. And most of it is in Swedish. It's him speaking in Swedish and then it's subtitled. 
I watched this with my wife and I told her, I think you're watching a different movie than I am. And you can relate uh, mm -hmm. having someone who speaks Italian in your life. Yeah. It's, a, it's a very different dynamic. So, yeah, language is a big one for recognizing who we are, mm -hmm. uh, how we're expressing ourselves in the world and how we can ultimately navigate this thing that we call life. Yeah, absolutely. And it's this code. I love that concept. It's this code that we can create, begin to create for ourselves and then use as if it were magic to shift our beliefs, to shift the way that we interact and connect with people and to make sure that the message or the intention of what we're trying to say to people actually has a certain impact on them, right? 100%. Yeah, I'll give you a crazy example. I know I'm talking a lot. I'm Please, just, that's that, why you're here. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> so you you know when, um, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but to me, for example, if I was out with my friends as I was younger, maybe in my teens, and I went to the movies, and in the, in the, in the movie we were watching, something emotional happened, and I felt like crying, I would be embarrassed of crying. And then because I was embarrassed of crying, I started feeling this pain in my throat. And you're just like, oh, my God, I need to just hold this thing back. And you start, right, uh, tensing up, and it feels super uncomfortable. I got to the point where I could separate the pain that I was feeling and putting my emotions outside of my body for me just to observe them. I could separate literally from my pain body. And I realized that, it's crazy that we develop tools to separate from the discomfort or in this case, like wanting to cry. Right. Uh, and, and we start bottling ourselves up when in reality, we know that this thing that's embarrassing to do in front of your friends when you're a teenager, which is crying mm -hmm. actually after you do it makes you feel better. Right. You, you start wondering, if I've done it with crying, have I done it with my uh, intimate relationships? Have I done it uh, in business with my finances? Where else have I done this? Where else have I developed these tools to dissociate from the feeling that I'm having? Mm -hmm. And what code have I created around it? Maybe for me was, I want to look cool in front of my friends yeah. at the movie theater, so I'm not going to cry. I'm going to be like, whatever. His mom died. When in reality, it's really sad. Right. And probably all of you are sitting there next to each other doing the exact same thing, right? Exactly. Yeah. We are very interesting creatures. Oh. <laughs> but then we get into our 30s, right? And something starts to happen where we begin to, I don't know if that's your timeline, but that was my timeline, where I begin to see this code and realize, oh, shoot, like I'm on autopilot this stuff with the dissociating from my discomfort and it i begin to see it because it's affecting the relationships i have i'm not having i'm not finding the relationships i want in life or i'm not realizing the relationship i want even though i've got the person i want and and then i have to look inside and be like well what yeah what's my code i guess is one way of describing it what's my code what is my automated behavior in all of these circumstances and and that's that process i'm in the midst of and it's destroyed me because i realize what i've done for years 
with people I love, with myself. But then it becomes empowering because in the same vein, you realize you've done it. And so you're guilty, but you're also in control. You also have that power to do it differently moving forward. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can agree with that. And I think, I think, I was actually thinking about this last night. Is, is that because we're approaching, we're getting closer to death? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. That's a good question. Why? Why do we begin? It seemed very s- sudden to me to begin having this awareness. I, why do you think? Well, I mean, there must be several layers, but um, if we go back 10,000 years in time, when Homo sapiens became the only species of Homo walking mm-hmm. around this planet, uh, we weren't living that long. Right. So around your 30s, you were an elderly. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, I don't know what the max uh, lifespan was back then. Uh, so someone will have to fact check. But yeah. in your 30s, you were, yeah, you were one of the older ones. Right. So supposedly wise. And in a very short span of time, we've extended our lifespan uh, tremendously. So there has to be something where we're, uh, in a way, genetically predisposed to uh, start uh, acting this way mm-hmm. for survival's sake. Right. That goes beyond ourselves. And I think that's where, uh, I mean, if you think about uh, Maslow's uh, hierarchy of needs, yeah. uh, eventually you get to a point of con- contribution. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where, where that is, is starting to kick in. It's like, oh, wait, I'm just one amongst here on the planet, 7.5 billion people. Mm-hmm. What does this mean? Yeah. Who am I in this group? And why should I care? Right. I, I love that theory. That's the first time I've thought about it in that regard, that there's potentially some biological trigger that we've evolved to say, okay, you're getting close. So it's time to start putting stuff in order, mm-hmm. um, more or less. Um, you know, I, part of the reason I started this, this project, this podcast, was because I'm on this, this journey that I just described. And, and part of it for me has been this larger question of what does it mean to be a good man? And part of that is what does it mean to be a man? And I love what you just brought up because for so long I felt like women have these biological triggers that are very apparent to everyone that drastically changes their physical form, the hormones that are flowing through their bodies. And, uh, you know, whether it's, uh, whether it's puberty, which for them is much more apparent, um, with periods and then motherhood, which is something that we will not, will never comprehend in, in that biological process and even the way their bodies shift in hormones at certain ages, and then menopause, right? And, and we don't share that same thread, but there still may be something going on within our biology that has evolved. I would like to think so, because I would like to think that everyone, when they reach a certain age, male or female, is getting that kick in the butt to start making those shifts in their lives. 
Yeah, I mean, I I don't know someone whoever's listening if they know they should uh, message us, <laughs> please, and do. tell us, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, please do, please do, because I look back at history too, and I think that there's something that we lack today that was there before, and it seems to me some sense of clarity or consensus about what it means to become an adult. Um, if you grew up in a tribe, you know whether they were wrong or right, they had an idea of what that meant. You went from the, the group of kids and women to the group of men or from the group of girls to the group of women. And the rules were clear and the rules were baked into mythology and practices and what you wore and, and how you talked to one another and all these things. And in our world today, we don't have as much of that. So I begin to worry that there isn't this baked in thing that's going to help all of us just decide one day to become leaders, to become men, to become better humans. Yeah, I, I wonder that. And someone like myself who likes to consume a lot of YouTube videos, uh, <laughs> I, 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 I've, I've watched a lot of uh, videos, you know, listening to someone like Bezos uh, versus Elon Musk versus um, uh, Zuckerberg. With Facebook and and wondering if these people who are currently shaping a lot of the infrastructure for the future, how much are they thinking about these things? And at this moment, it seems like the one who spends a little bit more time thinking about it is Elon Musk. Mm-hmm. In, in in my opinion, uh, I don't know about the other two. Um, so I, I do wonder if. Uh, if this is something that is exists at a higher level of people that are what we would consider high performers yeah. and at, at what, to what degree uh, and how are they using it? Right. Right. Well, is that, is what we're talking about right now? Is that part of your, your motivation to be a voice, to be one of the ideas that's being considered by people? I guess my ego wants that. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I want to be someone who people uh, reference. At the same time, is I ask myself, am I putting in the effort to be that, really? And to some degree, I am, but I'm not consuming this content and reading these books to be that voice. I'm trying to experience life the best I can through my eyes and around the people that I'm surrounded by and trying to interpret it in my way. And along the way, hopefully identifying a few things that may be universal truths and trying to help make those universal truths uh, relatable to the individual. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something I, I thought about this morning as well. I, 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 uh, I coach uh, individuals one-on-one on this thing I call lifestyle design, which I basically just made up. which is true why not i made it up uh subtitle is thinking clearly which i stole from a class that my daughter took i mean (laughs) that's how silly it really is but it's where i shine i shine listening to what people are saying and trying to reflect it back to them in a way that they can understand it that's what i do and whether it's through movement or thinking or uh, starting a project, that's, that's what I do. Now, how do I, how do I become uh, a reference? 
I don't know. I think you just keep doing what you're doing and you keep sharing it in the best way you can. And eventually you find where you belong and you end up uh, developing your style. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, there's this, there's the ego, but there's also what you've been following, which sounds more like curiosity or intuition or your gut. 100%. And so you're reading the things that interest you and you're learning the lessons on your own in your own life. And then just seeing where you can apply them and add value to the people who have come into your life. That's it. Yeah, that's it. I mean, the mission is, uh, as I said, is I want to uh, bring out the best in myself and at the same time, bring out the best in others. That's it. What does that look like? Well, I don't know. It's uh, I'm I'm trying to figure it out. Yeah. (laughs) Right. It's like I'm not a musician, so it's not through music. Uh, I'm not an athlete, so it's not through athletic performance, but I am a coach. So maybe there's something there. And I do have a voice, so there's something there. Mm-hmm. I am a parent. I am a son. I am a brother. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a, somewhat of a, a creative mind, so I'm going to use that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's kind of what, what it is. Yeah. Well, I wanted to ask you about becoming a parent. I wanted to ask what that has shifted for you in your life. Or... I'll just leave it there. Yeah. So that shifted. Yeah. So like I was talking about, um, you know, when I was a kid and and having a crush on a girl and feeling that that love. So anytime that you fall in that love, you've you've experienced this. Oh man, it's so exciting, so cool, so fun. And when you settle uh, for uh, one with one person, and you you get married and you say, okay, we're it's you and me for life now. You know that you're probably not going to experience that ever again. You're never going to experience falling in love with another person like that ever again. It's like supposedly once in a lifetime. Little did I know that becoming a parent, you get to experience the same thing. Beautiful. Yeah, but now it's you and your wife, you and your partner falling in love with this individual. In addition to that, what I realized was that Uh, Becoming a parent is not a biological thing that needs to start with uh, sexual reproduction, Mm -hmm. that it's more of a tribe. And sometimes age is enough to develop that. Now, I haven't read enough about this, but it seems like one can create biological bonds uh, without being uh, of the same blood, mm. of the same uh, genetic tree. Right. And that's kind of what we experienced is we became parents. Uh, we're two white people who became parents to a black girl mm. uh, that was not our own, as people would say, which is not the correct code unfortunately right yeah because she is our own people always say are you guys going to have your own kids no this is our, our kid. kid people yeah. don't um fully understand how they're using code mm-hmm. it's kind of like um when i was talking about uh homophobic slurs or earlier the code is sometimes mis misused Right. Yeah. So uh, that was a big one. And And we're resistant to changing our code. Very much so because it's difficult. Right. And it requires for us to acknowledge 
that we didn't know something. Exactly. That's a huge hurdle. <laughs> oh, so hurts. here's an aside. When I was becoming a reference within the fitness space for someone who could teach uh, gymnastics or movement, I got to the point where I would avoid watching certain content out of the fear of hearing something I didn't know and then having to change my ways. Mm. That was oh yeah rough how'd you wake up to that one well i just realized I was like, man i'm not clicking on this because i'm actually scared of watching it mm -hmm. yeah i mean i think everyone does that with politics or sports teams or mm -hmm. you know whatever they're so aligned to right exactly and i mean talk about politics i met donald trump no way mm -hmm. in when? 2004 2004 okay. in fact i worked for him i was one of the hype men on stage for a talk that he gave That's here in San Francisco when yeah. I first moved here. I didn't even know who he was. And uh, I met him backstage uh, and I was part of his group. I was wearing a tank top that said fun in orange. <laughs> this is an amazing picture. Okay, keep going. I still have that tank top, by the way, um, which is funny. But, uh, and there was also two more speakers, Tony Robbins, mm -hmm. uh, who I also met, and Robert Kiyosaki of uh, Rich, Rich Dad Poor Dad. Yeah. yeah. The one who was the nicest and the made the biggest impact in me that day was Donald Trump. Fascinating. Tell me more. I need it all. Why? How? He was just able to connect with the people that was there. Mm -hmm. And he did it in a way where I remembered him. I didn't remember Tony Robbins. I had heard about him. I didn't remember him. I didn't even know who Donald Trump was. And then when I met him there, I remembered him. Do I support Donald Trump? No. Did I vote for him? No. But he's human and he's also trying to figure it out. And he has some characters in himself that are really positive. Sure. And how can we hold space in our head to acknowledge that someone that may be causing a ruckus, for lack of <laughs> a better, better words, term, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, how can we hold space for someone like that and say, oh, I appreciate what is. Mm -hmm. And I have this theory that if we fast forward 100 years into the future and people uh, read uh, the history books and read about Donald Trump, it's not going to be a big deal. He was just another president. Oh, he was a little funny in his ways of uh, expressing himself. He said some things that were a little, right. you know, off sometimes. But, yeah, he did fine. Yeah. Uh, you know, like people can see my face right now. It's like, <laughs> all right. Well, you can't even believe it. But at the same time, you can believe it. Yeah. You can extend yourself far enough into the future where no one's taking it personally. It's just from 100 years out and arm's length what actually happened mm -hmm. as a result or what didn't happen. Totally. Yeah. Totally. And then we can, you know, we can think uh, Barack Obama was amazing and all of these things, but he probably has his flaws too and has made some mistakes and, and he did make some mistakes, uh, not to mention any of his uh, predecessors. I mean, right. yeah. so yeah, it's like in anything. And I don't have enough uh, understanding of politics to have an educated opinion on it. Neither do I. <laughs> but I, 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 try to, I try to participate in something like politics, which is simply participating in change by realizing that we're voting 
uh, every time we uh, buy something, consume something, have a relationship, support something. And this is what I learned in school. The only thing I took away really from school, studying environmental science was that it's important to act local so you can affect global. Mm-hmm. And we got to this, I think, because we were talking about uh, code and change and being able to hold space for uh, acknowledging that sometimes you're going to be very scared of uh, admitting what you don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That's the thread. And then I, we we popped off of this topic of having a daughter. Yes. Um, and what I want to try to understand is this is a momentous moment in anyone's life, I think, when you take responsibility for another human being and their well-being. And what else did that do to you? Yeah, it never turns off and it changes you forever. You're never the same. You, you can't go back to not being a parent. Once you're a parent, you're always a parent. But it, she, she became the best teacher uh, we've ever had. And we realized that modeling the behavior that you want to see in the world is the only way to go. It doesn't matter what you say. It's just what you model. Because sometimes you're going to say the wrong thing. But if you model consistently what you want to see in the world, it will start to replicate elsewhere. And it's, it's proof that it's happening with someone like herself, her, our daughter. That was one. The other thing is every individual is their own person. We can't control other people. We can only set boundaries for ourselves to make sure that our relationship and the way that we're engaging is safe for both parties. The other thing is that um, natural consequences are a real thing, that there's no such thing as reward or punishment. That's not a way of uh, educating anyone is you must create space. You must create an environment that's conducive for growth. And the environment that you must create has to be one of uh, self-reflection. And it can start with super simple things as every night at 7 p.m. we meet at the dinner table. That's our thing. We meet there. And at the dinner table today, we may share some things that we're grateful for or some things that we may be stressed about. And that alone is enough to just get you rooted in your life experience. And that's the beginning. And then it's kind of like your choices are your choices. Uh, we will be your board of directors. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the beginning, you have to report back up to us, but eventually you're going to be off your own and you can create your own board of directors if you want. Yeah. Right. So, uh, yeah, those are some of the things that, that we learned and that you realize transcend into everything else. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is that, I mean, our kid is, uh, you know, very wise. She's experienced a lot uh, at a very young age. But I believe that every single person is very wise. It's just, are you taking the time to realize that? Yeah. That you are wise yourself. Yeah. Or that everyone you come in contact with every day has some wisdom. 100%. I mean, I've seen myself as a superior before as someone who has it figured out and look at me, I'm standing right here. I'm the man. Carl is the man. Right? When in reality, <laughs> it's kind of like, well, why? You're just another dude trying to figure it out. What are you talking about? Yeah. Right? So 
if you can realize that, then there's something very special. You'll start seeing people with different eyes. And I am far from uh, an expert at this. Uh, someone who is much better at this is my wife. Mm-hmm. I'm just a, a student <laughs> trying to become a practitioner uh, of not being judgmental out of my own fears and insecurities. Right. Yeah. Um, man, am I a student as well. And what a... What are you working on personally right now? I mean, what else is hard for you in your own life right now? Yeah, right now what's hard is uh, trying to figure out how do I want to deploy these ideas that I have? And I mean, one of the things that I think about a lot is money. And I started thinking about money when I lost a lot of money. So in 2014, when I released my book, I also separated from my business partner and from all these partnerships. And I had poor agreements and it cost me a lot of money to get out of these relationships. So all of a sudden, when I went from being in what looked like abundance to being uh, in a place of uh, scarcity, money started to become a problem. And that's where I had to develop a new relationship with money, where I realized that I was treating money as if I was a pimp and money was my bitch, just like that. And those were the words in my head. And it was expressed in a very simple way. It's, uh, if we were out for dinner, I'd be like, don't worry, I got gotcha. you. I'll pay for the dinner. I'll pay for everyone. Mm-hmm. And I would just throw my money around as if it was a thing rather than treating it as a person or as if I had a relationship with it. Mm. And now I think about it like this. It's like, what if money was my wife or my kid or my mom or my dad or my brother or my best friend? Would I treat money that way or would I have a conversation? Would I say, hey, are you ready to do some work right now? Because we need to do this thing. I need to uh, put you to work. Can you do it? Yeah, I can do it. Cool. I'll see you when you come back with new friends. Beautiful way to imagine it. So, yeah. So, right now I'm trying co-worker, to... co-worker, a partner. A co-worker, a partner. It's your yeah. best friend. Yeah. It's the thing that allows you to, um, you know, be stronger. I like that code upgrade. That's a good one. Yeah. So, that's what I've been working on. And I'm trying to figure out... So, yesterday, I was a little bummed last night. I was like, man, why do I feel bummed? And the year is getting started and I'm starting this, like, travel season again. I'm like, I don't want to go. I don't want to leave my house. And I was like, this is the year where I end it. I'm not going to be dependent of teaching these seminars and traveling. I can do my business from here. It's time to create space for people to come to me. Mm-hmm. And then me, of course, go places when needed, but not because I'm a slave of it. So that's something that I'm, I'm I had this realization last night and I woke up this morning and I was like, yes, yes. All I have to do is create the space here and make sure I don't forget because this is going to take a long time and it's easy to get distracted to make sure I steer the ship uh, where I want to go. But it's a big ship and I have a small rudder. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) But that's beautiful to have that realization. Yeah. To come through that. That concern, that worry, and, and figure it out like that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I want to ask you about your intuition, Carl, because I see some of the stuff that you put out on Facebook and, and use this phrase quite often about listening to your, I think it's your head, your heart, your gut. Nice. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. And which I love, but it's something I've really struggled with. And I, and I think I'm understanding more in my life, but I struggled with it through probably 28 years of my life. And what I mean by that is when people would say, listen to your gut or, you know, follow your intuition or how do you feel? I, I had no idea what they were talking about. Mm -hmm. And it's required I go through some process of actually attempting to learn some language of my body of I'm not even sure how, how else, how better to explain it. I, I'm wondering if you have looked at it or been able to dissect it in your own life, what that process was like for you of becoming in touch with this language of the gut. What does that actually feel like? Can you put it into words even? Yeah, 100%, actually. I, I, so uh, if you were to point at yourself right now, uh, where would you point yeah, right there, you point at your heart. And so when you listen to your heart, it's you're listening to I, Carl, I, Chase, I, Tanya, I, I. What does I say? And this is like the Eckhart Tolle thing. I cannot live with myself. So who's myself? Oh, myself is the voice in my head. So there's this notion now, if we go upstairs into the head, is that uh, people will say things like, you know what, you should leave the, door, the ego at the door. You've mm. heard that before, right? Yeah. But the truth is the ego is what makes you human. So don't leave your ego at the door. Bring your ego with you. Hand, hand to hand, yeah. right? Just like hold that hand and bring the ego with you. Don't succumb to the ego. Don't mm. succumb to the voice in your head. Have a dialogue. Allow your ego to become the axis on which your moral compass spins. Mm. That's what gives you the ability to see, quote unquote, what's right and what's wrong, yeah. what's good and what's bad, according to what you believe in, your values, your principles. So that's what's happening upstairs. So when I say you need to listen to what's in your head and your heart and your gut, what's in your head is the conversation. Yeah. What is I, my heart? saying to myself yeah. what conversation are we having and then if you go downstairs to the gut it's where the physical expression of what you do occurs when you do something that doesn't feel right that doesn't feel good you feel that in your whole body mm. you know what shame feels like you know what uh, fear feels like you, you know what sadness feels like you know what happiness feels like mm. So that's what the gut is. So becoming aware of what you're feeling when you act, when you move is important. And now if you can align what's happening upstairs in your head, the conversation that you're having, in your heart, who you truly are, your genuine self, and then in your gut, what your body's feeling, then all of a sudden you're going in the right direction. And if you go in the right direction, which is your direction, <laughs> it may be a, a different direction for other people, over time, 
your mindset, your body, uh, your connection to this world, your spirituality, if you want to call it that, your relationship with your family, your friends, your business or how you do work, your finances, they all start to trend in the same direction. And then you start living in this state of abundance. Now, if someone's listening and thinks that I have this figured out, (laughs) and no, I don't, I'm trying every day, but at at least I have an understanding of it. And now I know that as a 36-year-old man, I have the rest of my life to practice this. Mm -hmm. And you know from past experience, once you've become aware or have an understanding of something, then you know how to listen for it. Then you know how to hear it. And then you know how to practice it. Mm-hmm. And that's the process that you're, you're in the midst of. Yeah. And I think this is where we are, we're all teachers. And sometimes some people, some people teach from um, just visuals that they have in their head. Other people teach from uh, a voice that they have in their head. Other people teach from what they've experienced in the real world. So you need to figure out how are you teaching yourself how mm-hmm. to do these things. I am through movement. So I'm very kinesthetic, physical. Yeah. If I do a handstand... I, I describe what I'm doing verbally, and that's how I teach. Yeah. Well, in physiology, it, using our body is such a, it's a hack, I think, for, for anyone to, to shift your mindset, to shift your mental state. Um, and there's so many things just, I mean, I think this is why breathing is such a popular example, mm-hmm. right? Just to oxygenate, ox, oxygenate the body and get blood flowing. Um, and significantly shift the tension maybe in our sternum, the fear response, whatever it is. But it's a, it's a powerful vehicle. It's huge. Um, and probably something everyone can use. I mean, have you found anyone who it doesn't work with? No. I mean, if you think about, if you think about um, it works with pretty much everyone, of course. Yeah. But if you think about it as uh, your heart and your lungs as some of the primary engines to move uh, nutrients and blood flow through your body to make sure that you're, you're, you can move, you can live. Uh, you can't control your heartbeat, but you can control your breathing. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of like the gas pedal. If you accelerate your breathing right now, yeah. yeah, your heart rate will accelerate. So if you think about it that way, it's, it's, it's the same thing with movement. It's like, if you don't know how to breathe, I'll put you on a treadmill right now and you'll start breathing different. And then what if I could have you imagine yourself on a treadmill and starting to breathe like you're running on a treadmill, right? So we can go down this rabbit hole, of course, and, <laughs> and get to the point. But at all, all roads lead to Rome. That's how I see it. Which is essentially this connection, this enlightenment, Probably that you're in control of certain things yeah. and you're in control and you're not in control of other things. Ultimately, what you want to feel is you want to feel pretty good with yourself. And I'm saying pretty good is because I think that the satisfaction is always there. And ultimately, everything that you do has to lead to that place. Mm-hmm. And now you can do it physically. You can do it mentally. You can do it emotionally. You can do it in your relationships. You can do it in your business. You can measure it through uh, different metrics that exist. That could be finances. It could be anything else. You, yeah. you need to figure that out. And that's the exploration. Yeah. I want to ask you about values. Mm-hmm. Is there a list of values that you go to um, to check yourself in life or certain ones that you've chosen? Or maybe it's not a matter of chosen that you've noticed are important to you through your life. 
Yeah, I, I, I've done this so many times. I've asked myself, oh, what are my values? What are my principles uh, by which I operate? And it always comes back to um, I want fairness. That's one, which uh, is always aligned with compassion. And I uh, look for fluidity, motion. Um, and then uh, there's always truth. And then there's a value that, you know, I debate this, whether it's a value or not, but it's curiosity. It's kind of the, the things that you think about at night, uh, I think are there for a reason. So if one can simply lean into curiosity a little bit, maybe we'll start asking ourselves the questions that maybe we can't answer, but if we ask other people, they can help us answer. Right. So those are always there. Um, and of course, change, but. Yeah, those are some values. Beautiful. Yeah. Thanks for sharing those. Of course. Now, when it comes to values, I think you've mentioned Maslow's hierarchy and entering into a phase essentially of contribution in, in your life. And I feel like I'm entering into that phase as well, which has led me to this adventure. But I begin to ask the question, you know, when we come up with our values, is it something that we... Say you want to see this in your family also. You want to see it in your community. You want to see it in other young men or people in the world. Is there a way to begin to instill this in our community? Um, certain methods. Uh, is there anything that comes to mind for you or things that you're trying? I mean, 100%. Uh, the, the, it's called process. And people need to see the value of process. And I think this is where... Uh, communication is so important. And uh, someone like Marshall Rosenberg, who talked about nonviolent communication, is such a powerful example of this. Is, uh, you know, if Tanya back in the day would ask me to take the dishes out, I'd be like, I don't, sure, I can do it, but I'll probably forget because it's not important to me. But if, if Tanya said, um, you know, I noticed that the dishwasher is not empty, it's still full. And uh, when I notice the dishwasher being full, I get pissed off, I get mad, I get frustrated, I get sad, because I have a need to be able to start uh, prepping food for the family so we can get to the table at 7 p.m. And when the dishwasher is full, my needs don't get met. So here's my request. Can you please take out the dishes from the dishwasher. Sure. Now we're starting to instill process, but it's all bound by someone's needs and the value or positive impact that that makes. So if we're not able to communicate these values in terms of the impact that those values make in our life, we can't create a method. We can't instill a method. We can't teach a method. And ultimately, we'll never be able to adhere to a process or even appreciate the process. Mm. So starting with process essentially is recognizing your own need that's, mm -hmm. a that's tied to this value, essentially. And then being able to have boundaries and communicate those boundaries and communicate those needs in ways that aren't personal, aren't judgments of other people, but just keep you in integrity with yourself. Mm -hmm. And for me, uh, 
I want, of course I want, I want us to sit at the table at seven. It's a common goal that we all have. So I'm going to do whatever it takes to get there. I just now need the repetitions in my life to change that habit or to create that habit that will take 21 days to create 66 for it to stay. And then now we're starting to see change and that, that becomes the new layer of your foundation that now you can build on. Yeah. Amazing. Well, I want to ask you one last question, which is what challenge would you like to put out there to anyone listening um, or request uh, if you'd prefer to hear it that way? Hmm, that is a great question. I, I, I don't think it's a, a challenge, but I, I think asking yourself the simple question of for what more often is going to potentially give you the information that you need to start moving the needle in the direction that you've been yearning to move it in. I think it's as simple as that. It's asking yourself for what until you get to the root of who you are and what you do. And although this may feel like a, a child's game of like again and again and again and again. Like that little kid who asks why. Yeah, why? Yeah, why? But why? Uh huh. But ask yourself, so why is someone like Simon Sinek has, uh, the why is important, but for what is more objective? It becomes more immediate. Like you want to make money? Okay, for what? Oh, well, I want to build this thing. Okay, for what? Oh, so I can have these people working there. For what? Well, because uh, I believe that if we can have a community, and then you start yeah. going deeper and deeper. So ask yourself for what a little bit more often. Mm-hmm. Well, you heard it, folks. Carl, absolute pleasure, man. Thank you so much. For Thank you. Yeah. What an absolute joy to talk with Carl. His invitation to us all is to ask the question, what for? To inquire into our own desires and goals. To search with the question of what for. To better understand their root. To better understand ourselves. Huge thanks to Carl Pauli. Thank you to Auli Chino for the music. Thank you to No Sin Records for the production. Thank you for listening. Now, go out there and love somebody. Adios.